Thank you very much, Joyce. Let's take our Bibles and join me in Deuter- uh, I'm sorry, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs 29. If you don't have sermon notes, the fellows will hand that to you. Join me in Proverbs 29 as we do our different study this evening. And uh, what we've talking about, what we've shared so far this morning, and we're going to continue here in the next couple, two, three weeks, we're going to be talking about some variety of topics that go along the same line, and that is, we as Christians, how does that affect us as we approach what we have in this country is called elections, and that impacts our lives tremendously. In, in Proverbs 29... And again, I'm not going to do a type of message, and I feel extremely uncomfortable doing this. I feel almost like, you know, the emperor without clothes in the way that I'm preaching last week, this week, and the next couple weeks, because it is just not the way that I normally operate. And so normally we don't do what's called textual or topical messages. It's expository messages, which I think is the best way to deal with the Word of God. But there are times when we need to step back and say, okay, we need to do a study that may not be in one text alone, so we need to do a, a study that is involving a lot of different principles and passages. And tonight we're going to be dealing with more principles. I'll give you a lot of passages that are from a variety of different texts. So have your pen or pencil ready. But I keep saying Deuteronomy, and I don't know why that is. Proverbs 29, he has several verses in this chapter. I was reading it through here the other day. Several verses that deal with the same topic. Follow along as you go along. And I'm going to jump down through, just get the sense. It starts off with verse 1. He that being often reproved hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. When the righteous are in, in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, what happens? The people mourn. Go down to verse 4. The king by judgment establishes the land. That is by righteous judgment. But he that receives gifts, or the idea of he's uh, given to greed, he overthrows it. Jump down a little bit more. Scornful men, verse 8, bring a city into a snare. But wise men turn away the wrath. Jump down a little bit more. Verse 12. If a ruler hearkens to lies, all his servants are wicked as well. Verse 14. The king that faithfully judges the poor, his throne shall be established forever. Jump down to verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. Jump down to verse... um, Let's go down to verse 22. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Whoso is partner with the thief hates his own soul. He hears cursing and bereath it not. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord, what's it say? Shall be safe. Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment comes from where? comes from the Lord. An an unjust man is abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. There are several different passages here that we want to look at this evening, but here's the bottom line that I want to just address quickly this evening, and that is who I should vote for. Um, When we think about that, the bottom line is you and I have to be really, really serious, and probably the hardest thing about this election in particular is we need to be informed. We need to understand a little bit more than those little bites that are on TV and those ads because those ads don't give us always the full story. And there's a lot of uh, things involved with this election. We know we have lots of choices. Okay, some of you are already going, okay, you don't even want to look or watch what we're doing. But if you wanted to, you could go to the Green Party. If you wanted to, you could go to other different parties. There are several different options here. 
Now, we're in this election, we're not just dealing with the president. We're dealing with other different elections that are very important, and that's with our senators that are senator from the state. We also are dealing with congressmen from whatever district you may be in. That's here in our local that covers Lebanon County. You also have a lot of state offices that are, in, that are here that we're going to be voting on when we get involved with uh, going to the ballot. There's a lot of different issues. There's a lot of different people. And so the question comes down to, so who should I vote for? It would be easy for me to give you an answer. And by the way, I would love to do that from a political point of view. I would love to make into all kinds of persuasive arguments for different people, but I don't think that's my job here. I don't think my job in the church setting is to be a politician or a lobbyist. I think my job is to explain Scripture and exclaim scriptural principles. I also know that this is your responsibility. You need to become informed. You as citizens need to do more than just, you know, hey, bottom line, let me, let me t- tell you my woes of, the, of society. We are creating a society that doesn't think anymore. That's a truism. You don't have to figure out math problems anymore because you can use your phone and your calculator. You don't have to sit down and... Um, <clears throat> You don't have to figure out a lot of things. You don't have to figure out how to give change for a dollar. The cash register will tell you how to do that. And so people don't think that way. You don't have to think about how to even do research. You just go on Google and let that do the work for you. And we're creating a society that is a non-thinking society. You and I should be opposite of that. We should think through. We should examine. We should get information that, that gives us pre- the answers for the principles by which we're going to operate by. So I don't think that I need to tell you, but I do need to tell you this. And I think this is where I need to start. I need to show you from the Bible that you need to study the scriptures to find out from the Bible, okay, what are those values? What are those principles that affect our society? And as citizens, what should we be concerned about? So that means that what you need to do is you need to understand scriptures. You need to go back to the Bible to say, okay, what does the Bible say about those topics that are absolutely related to this election? I know. I know that some of you have strong opinions. I have been told already in the last few weeks that I should be telling you that if anybody votes for a Democrat, you can't be saved. I have been told by some that if I don't say it from the pulpit, that if you vote for the major candidate, Republican or Democrat, you are not right with the Lord. I have been told all different types of things of what we're supposed to say than what is supposed to be said. Listen, I, I don't think it's my job to tell you who to vote for. I think it's my job to tell you based on the Bible what to vote for. The principles from the Word of God, and then you have to make that decision before you and the Lord that says, okay, what or who lines up best with these that are important biblical principles that are very applicable to the situation? What I mean by that is this. You need to say, okay, the candidate, the party, the platform, the ticket, whatever, that best does this, that stands closest to where the Bible stands when it comes to economics and government. Economics is an important issue. The Bible tells us about economics. It tells us about a welfare system. It gives us principles. So you and I should understand those principles and then say, okay, which candidates best align to those principles that the Bible talks about when it comes to government and economics? And I know that sounds very boring, but if you're going to be an intelligent voter, which I think that we have lost a lot of the electorate as far as intelligence... I think the danger with the electorate is this. The more people who are supported by government funds, that affects the elections more and more. 
Okay, because they would vote, if they vote, they would vote to just continue funding for themselves. That's a dangerous way of voting. You and I should say, now wait a minute, we need to study what does the Bible say about economics. It's not that difficult. It's not that complex. And this isn't like going to a university and taking two years of study. It's just simple economic study. It's simple study of what the Bible says about government. We're going to touch on that. You and I should be aware of where the Bible stands on moral issues. Here's our problem. We hear so much about some of these moral issues that after a while we start cascading and going down the hill with it. We start all of a sudden saying that there are no standards. There are no absolutes. Some of the stats that I gave you a couple weeks ago. There is, an, uh, there is in the evangelical circle. There's a 40% going on 40% of the evangelicals who say there are no moral standards or absolutes given in the word of God. That's not true. The Bible gives some moral principles about abortion. It gives about gay rights. It talks about environmental care. It talks about marriage. It talks about all these social issues. You and I should be aware of what those issues issues are and what the Bible says about those issues so that we're not responding by making some offhanded comments, but we're basing our response and our evaluations upon the word of God. I think that it is so important, and I've said this now on two different occasions, I think the social issues are paramount in a lot of what happens in this election because of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is given to social engineering, and if there isn't a conservative influence there, it is going to get worse for the believers in time. I think this. I think that you and I should stand or look at, evaluate, where do these candidates or parties stand when it comes to what the Bible teaches about international policies and treaties? I am referring to a simple passage that says this, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that... And who's that in relationship? Israel. You and I should be aware of what the Bible says about that area. And there is different views between major candidates. There's a whole discussion that we can have about this new world order and what's taking place and this whole idea of globalism that we should be aware of saying, okay, here's what the Bible says about that. Therefore, what do these candidates say about that? I think this is true. I think that what we should do is look at what candidates would show and that the best of the candidates, you know, the closest to appreciate and seek to preserve America's Christian worldview, historic worldview. We talked about that this morning. If you weren't with us, you didn't get a lot of the material. In fact, if you weren't with us this morning, and a couple of people are asking me about it, let me just give you three books that you can pick up that would give you a lot of this information if you don't have it. That would be worth your reading if you're interested. David Barton wrote a book that's called The Myth of Separation tremendous amount of quotes, tremendous amount of documentation that deals with historically where were we as a nation early in on and what they taught. Uh, here's a book by Gary Amos that says Defending the Declaration, subtitle How the Bible and Christianity Influenced the Writing of the Declaration of Independence. And again, it's dealing with the, with the Christian worldview here in our country. Here's a third book that some of you may want by Tim LaHaye, A Comprehensive Study of America's Christian Foundations, Faith of Our Founding Fathers. And they're interesting, they're, way, they're good reading, they don't have, well, they have some pictures, not enough to make it that it goes faster. But there would be good information for you that's talking about America's Christian history and the Christian worldview. Let's pick up again a little bit of, just a little bit of what we talked about this morning. Gerald Ford said this. Some of you don't remember who he is. But Gerald Ford was one of our presidents. Without God, there can be no American form of government, nor an American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being is the first and most basic expression of, the American, of Americanism. Thus, the founding of the fathers 
of America's sod, and thus with God's help, it will continue. Okay, he, we go on. And let me just give you some historical data. Okay, back in the middle 1800s, there was a case that happened in Philadelphia. Just to give you a sense, this went, ended up in the Supreme Court. In the Supreme Court, there was a fellow who died. He was a deist. He believed, um, uh, actually, he was an atheist. Uh, deist, that's right. He, um, he wanted to leave this kind of money and say, the city of Philadelphia, you're going to start this type of school, but the requirement is, if you're going to take this $7 million back in the mid-1800s, a lot of money, if you're going to take that and start a school, here's the one criteria. You cannot have any religious education going on at that, in that school. Well, the city of Philadelphia rejected all $7 million. They said, we don't want it because of the stipulation that, that we could not do religious education. That was their premise. Now, again, we're going back in time where at that time period, religious education was a part of the normal curriculum. In fact, what was the book that they would use for reading? The Bible was the text to help teach most people to read. So the city of Philadelphia rejected $7 million and said, we won't do it under those stipulations. The, fa- the, the estate took the city to court and said, you have to. And you have to abide by that, that will. If you, you have to build a school and you have to have a school where there's no religious education. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court trying to force the city of Philadelphia to take the money and build this DIA school. And so when it got before the Supreme Court, the rulings came down this way. This is the arguments, this is quotes from the arguments that took place before the Supreme Court. The lawyers for Philadelphia said this, those lawyers should have joined us in asking the state to cut off the obnoxious clause of prohibiting religious education. So in the argument, it was, that's ridiculous, that's absolutely obnoxious. The lawyers for the estate saying they should take it said, the plan of education proposed is anti-Christian, therefore repugnant to the law. They admitted that before the Supreme Court, but they said, you have to do it because the money is there. The Supreme Court ruled, the purest principles of morality are to be taught. Where are they found? Whoever searches for them must go to the source from, uh, from which a Christian man derives his faith, the Bible. They ruled against the estate forcing the city of Philadelphia to take the $7 million and build the Dia school. They didn't have to. They didn't have to follow through with that, which was a win by giving up $7 million. How that works, I'm not sure. But that was the argument before the Supreme Court. Now, going a little bit further, there's a case called Peoples versus Ruggles. In this case, the fellow was out publicly, and he cursed Jesus Christ. He blasphemed the Lord. Now, if, now none of us were living in that time period. Uh, but during that time, they had laws that were called blasphemy laws. That means you couldn't curse the name of Jesus Christ or God in public or you could be fined. Well, going back to the early 1800s, $500 is a pretty stiff fine. I think $500 is a pretty stiff fine now. Okay, but in that time, that was a huge amount. So he argued and went all the way up through the, through the process that he shouldn't be fined because his arguments were freedom of speech according to the Constitution. I can say what I want to say, and I'm expressing my religious viewpoint. By the way, would people argue that today? Sure they would. Okay, here's how it came out. The Supreme Court ruled this way. Blasphemy against God and profane ridicule of Christ or the Holy Scriptures are offenses to the common law. Okay, which is what we operate in social law, whether uttered by words or by writings. And they went on to say, to construe the Constitution as breaking down the common law barriers against licentious, wanton, impious attacks upon Christianity would be an enormous perversion of the meaning of the Constitution. 
So they ruled that this man's fine was absolutely correct. He had no right and he broke common law. Therefore, he was, he was, he was punishable by cursing and cussing Jesus Christ. Now, my friend, has that changed in our society? Oh, yeah. I mean, if this were still in place, Hollywood would be fined every minute. Okay. But that's the sense of what we're talking about, a Christian, American, a worldview uh, history that used to be in America. Here's another one that's called Commonwealth versus Abner, state of Massachusetts. He wrote in a paper, and this time he published remarks about God and Christianity that were very, very negative. And so again, he violated blasphemy laws, and they were going to fine him. He was against, uh, against this, and he argued it all the way to the point, putting money into an argument that he shouldn't be fined, to the point that he was going to lose his publication because of all the money invested. And so he goes before the court, and his claim was, Constitution guarantees me the right to express my sentiments by way of argument on any religious topic. I can say whatever I want. Well, we all know you cannot walk into a theater and yell fire because that would do harm to other people. So this idea of being able to express yourself and say whatever you want, that's foreign in, uh, in America's early history. And so they ruled that the freedom of the press allows for free, ex- um, this is the argument, freedom of the press allows for a free expression guaranteed by the Constitution and uh, rather than bore you. The ruling was that's not true. The Constitution, the Founding Fathers, did not mean by freedom of expression you could print whatever you want if it's going to cause harm to other individuals and as well if it's going to hurt people's religious sentiments and undermine some people's faith. You can't do that. You have a responsibility to be careful how you affect other people. His other argument was this. He says the blasphemy laws were illegal. The founding fathers would roll over in their grave if they saw that there was blasphemy laws that states had passed that said you can be fined for $500 for cursing Jesus Christ or writing articles. Their conclusion was this. They said, and they went back to rulings that were done and laws that were passed in the earlier part of the 1800s, and here's what the Supreme Court said at this time, which was the mid-1800s. They said this. They said that to say that the Founding Fathers would be offended by the blasphemy laws is just an act of ignorance and not looking at history. Because many of the same people who were involved with passing the Constitution and the, the Bill of Rights who represented Massachusetts were alive and involved in passing the blasphemy laws. So the founding fathers, they did not see freedom of, a, of religion as being freedom of total expression anyway in a, in a blasphemous way. And so they were the very ones who often passed and promoted and even wrote some of those blasphemy laws. You can just keep on going. And this, this is the case that is most often cited about where America used to be. It's the Holy Trinity versus the United States. And it has to do with slave laws and bringing people into the country under, under a bondage and it has to do with a preacher who was brought all the way from Great Britain, brought to the United States, and he had no choice, but he had to serve in this church for several years because of the, um, um, it's not slavery, what's the other one that you're hired? In, indentured, indentured, thank you. And so it has to do with that. Anyway, it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Here's what I want you to catch. Our, here's the ruling at the end of it. Our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based upon and embodying the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. Watch how they talk. They talk like preachers. It is impossible that it should be otherwise. And in this sense and to this extent, our civilization, our institutions are emphatically what? Christian. This is a what nation? 
Yeah, that was the ruling. That's, that came out of some of the, the land's highest courts. So you have all these, these points of our, America, our history, even Ronald Reagan that some of you have heard about, that um, remember in 1983, the year of the Bible, the United States had a declaration, the year of the Bible. Now today, we would be opposed, and probably it would be the year of the Quran, okay? You know, otherwise, we would be biased. And so we have this history that we can't deny. There is this Christian worldview that has gone on in America, and I would like to see candidates, and I think it's appropriate that what we need, when we go back to the Word of God, that what we need to do is generation from generation pass on the truths that, were, that basically honor the Lord. Why is that? Because righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is what? Is a reproach to any people, as we talked about this morning. And blessed is the nation, blessed is the nation who's, who, uh, where the Lord is their God. Okay? And I've got that quote at the bottom of your notes with that idea. And so the idea here is, okay, let's, let's look for party. Let's look for people. Let's look for a platform where they are trying to uphold Christian values. Not saying you have to be a Baptist. Not saying you have to worship in this type of church or that type of church. We know that there's that freedom of how you worship. But not where those parties or those peoples or those platforms go to the point that secularism has become the new world, the new religion in America. Where secularism, the anti-God movement is, we can't even talk about God. We can't even bring him up. Because that's promoting a religion. That's not what we were founded upon. That's not where we were. And so you and I need to be cautious and careful to say, if we know that God has blessed our country in the past because of its, world, its, its biblical worldview, we want to propagate that for the future generations. And so that's a consideration we should have. Here's another consideration. This one really I struggle with saying because of all the garbage that we hear about with the candidates. But this is a biblical principle that we can't get away from. We need to look for at candidates. We need to look at platforms. We look at who displays character traits for the political leaders as promoted in the Bible. What type of character traits does the Bible say we should look for in leaders? And there's several different passages that talk about it in the book of Proverbs. Now, understand that in Proverbs, we are dealing with a theocracy. We're dealing with not people electing, but God appointing the leaders. And God advising to the leaders in particular. That's Proverbs. Solomon writing to the leader and saying, this is the type of leader you should be. Okay, we're taking these same verses and saying, well, this is the leader we're trying to look for. This is the type of people. Why is that? Because we know righteousness exalts the nation. We know this. When the righteous are in authority, the people People rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people mourn. So we look for and say, okay, what do we try to find? And we would love to have born-again people in charge, operating by born-again principles. Okay, but if they're not born again, can we look for people with character? People with morality. Let's go a step further. For the transgression of the land, many are the princes thereof, but a man of understanding and knowledge, the state shall be prolonged. What's he mean by that? Maybe another translation helps you out. The translation from ESV says, when a land is filled with sin, it has a lot of rulers. Why? Because they replace one another. Because there's this, this instability that happens in a nation when wicked people are in rule. And he says, but a man of understanding, he's going to help give stability to the peoples. By justice, a king builds up the land, but he who is given to greed and bribery and filling his own pocket, they're going to tear down the nation. 
So when we have these Bible verses that talk about the idea of people with character, morality, fear of God, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there's great shouting. There's rejoicing. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Now that's what we need to be, the upright, the salt and the light, to make an influence for blessing upon the land. But it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. The bottom line is this. The conduct, the choices made by our leaders, it does matter. It does matter. Okay? They, they have leadership spots. Let, let, me, let me see if I, if I can give you the negative illustration. Did the wickedness and the immorality of Bill Clinton affect the morality of our nation? Yes, it did. Yes, it, and it does do that. And so those are fearful things. So we need to look and stop and say, okay, let me just do this this evening. What type of character traits are promoted in the book of Proverbs for leaders? Okay, what type of choices, what type of, of uh, conduct, okay, what type of goals? Let me give you several passages. And I understand that we're talking in those texts, we're talking from a theocracy, and we're talking here about a republic form of government. I understand some distinctions. And I understand all those background, but there are these principles that are, that are never-ending principles that talk about this. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. So I'm going to look and say, okay... The righteous would be saved people. But if they're not born again, then what type of conduct is considered righteous or good or moral behavior? I would prefer to have born-again people, wise born-again people in leadership. Okay? But at the same time, I look and say, okay, are they, if they're not born again, do they have character traits, moral traits that are promoted for leadership? Here's some of those passages that talk about it. That talk about the righteous hates falsehoods. Okay, that they are, the wicked bring shame and disgrace. The idea is honesty is so important. Integrity is so important. And that's the problem that you and I have when we come to elections because we are of the mindset that every politician is given to lying for the sake of promoting themselves. And so we need to look and say, okay, we understand there's issues, we understand there's imperfections, but let's look for some type of form of integrity. Okay, that goes on. Let's give you another principle. Okay, generosity. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked regards not to know anything about the poor. We read in Proverbs that idea that greed is dangerous. When the person is, is the ruler is persuaded by gifts, by getting bribes, by, by um, benefiting their own pocketbook. That is so, so dangerous for the society in general. Give you another one. Teachable spirit. Give instruction to a wise man, he'll become yet wiser. Teach a just man, he will increase in learning. So there needs to be somebody who is teachable, somebody who is seeking counsel, somebody who is looking for the influence of others that could help make decisions, somebody who's careful about their friendships. The righteous man is more excellent or careful about, about investigating than his neighbor, but the wicked, he seduces them goes after those neighbors who are not so careful, who is easily persuaded and tries to persuade others. Let me give you another character trait. They can admit when they've made a mistake. The righteous falls seven times, but he rises up. But they're going to deal with it. They're going to talk about it. They're going to admit it. They're going to move forward. The bottom line is this. Do we all have stuff that people could bring up about us? So they could. I wouldn't want to run for office. I'd be afraid to run for office. Because they would bring up all the garbage in my life. And there is garbage in my life. There's probably garbage in your life. But the bottom line is, 
Does repentance work? It does. And we're supposed to respond with that as well. But the person needs to admit mistakes and then return to doing that which is right. Let me give you another principle, self-control. Self-control is so important. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed. They have to have self-control. Not controlled by all these different influences and this environment. In fact, we go a little bit further. They need to abide by the law. They need to be subject to the law, not feel that they're above the law. Proverbs 31. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. So we have all these different principles talking about leadership, talking about those who are ruling in particular, those who are not just ruling in the house or the city, but those even ruling on a national level, that they should have character traits that are moral, they are honest, they're hardworking, they're compassionate, they're generous, they're individuals who cares for the society, who basically, we come down to what Jesus, what we talked about this morning, that Jesus says real leadership should seek to serve others not seek to be served. And so we have that principle. We understand that. But our problem that we have is, who fits that bill? Okay? Here's here's the issue. We have limited knowledge of the people that we vote for. That is a problem for us, is it not? Okay. We also are limited in our choices. Are we not? Okay? We got one person who talks so absolutely smutty, it's embarrassing. This and the major parties, okay? The, um, the, the two major parties. We've got one of them who talks in the gutter. we got another one whose husband lived in the gutter, and there was some enablement, okay? So we sit back and go, oh, my word. And I, I'm still, I'm just going to make this statement, and I'm going to offend some people who are pro either, either one of them. Is this the best that America can come up with? Okay? And it is frustrating, is it not? It's, well, no, it's close to very discouraging. It almost gets you to come to a point where you say, I'm not going to vote. I'm just not going to vote. Well, wait a minute. Do I have a responsibility to try to influence? I do. I do. So how do I reconcile all of this? How do I work with it? And by the way, this makes it even worse. The character attack and assaults are so overwhelming that it's just like, oh, my word. Who would want to run for those offices? You're, you, would be, you're, you would be hung out to dry. That I think it's scaring even good people from wanting to be in office because of this, this whole sense of, of dealing with it. And a person's past may not always reflect their present views. There is that. Tra- hey, I'm going to give you a quiz. I want to give you a quiz. I want you to, to do this with me, okay, just for fun. Don't have to yell out the answer. Think about it for a moment. I want you to guess who this person is, okay? My campaign, I'm an outsider. Since I wasn't a career politician throughout my adult life, I was a Democrat that switched to the Republican Party. My family, I'm divorced and then remarried. My, over time, I've made a number of statements many consider to be fanatical and inflammatory, especially to other nations. And they consider me dangerous. I was the one of the first to get behind no-fault divorce laws. Here, I, my contemporaries said I'm mentally unfit and do not have the temperament to be president. As well, my, I was called an entertainer because I was at one time. Who is it? Ronald it's Ronald Reagan. It's Ronald Reagan. Okay? 
when he first ran, as some of you might remember, when he first thought of putting his, his name in the ticket early in, in just primaries, back in the early 60s, the comment made about him was, he's a divorcee, he will never be elected because of his background. Did he make some statements that caused people fear? Yeah, remember Star Wars? Remember his statement about Russia or Soviet Union? It was called what empire? The evil empire. What did they say? He was so senile, he's probably falling asleep during all of his staff meetings. And yet, I, I dare say that amongst most of, uh, of evangelical uh, Christians, he is deified as one of our best presidents. Okay? So can somebody have past that is questionable, but can they change? I grant that, okay? We need to be sensitive about that. But what do we do? What do we do? Keep in mind, we are not electing a pastor of the nation. Okay? That, that's a truism. Okay? Okay? We're not, we're, not electing, we're not electing a Pope of America, Bishop of America, whatever terms you want to use. We're not electing a religious leader. We are electing a civil leader. If we were electing a religious leader, do we put even greater emphasis upon the character? Yes, much, much more, much more. I'm not saying we diminish the, char the character issue, but we need to consider the character of the individuals, and some of that has to be part of our persuaded argument with limited knowledge and be careful of the media overload. Okay, we need to do that. I think as well we need to consider the entire, for the president, we can consider the entire ticket. Okay, I think this, you and I need to remember when we go voting, we are not just electing a president. We are electing a lot of other offices as well. Let's not get so caught up with the presidential election that it discourages us to a point that we don't vote for all those other local, state, and other types of offices that have a tremendous impact upon our society. We have responsibility. As well, we bottom lines, we need to vote. Here, here is where it comes down to for me. We have got to keep our trust in God. We have got to remember our trust is not, it does not say on the coins, in Reagan we trust. It does not say in Bush we trust. In Clinton we trust. In Obama we trust. Okay, It doesn't say that. It doesn't say in Trump we trust. It doesn't say that. Thank God it doesn't say those names. It says what? In God we trust. And remember that when we were reading this through, that says in, this, in, in Proverbs 29, as he's winding down talking about leaders, he says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Okay? And I want to preserve America's Christian history, uh, granted. And I want to see us as a society oppose evil. However, if... If there is a trend that, that continues and takes America even into a more secular state, can we still serve the Lord? Can we still win the lost? Can we still do a work for Jesus Christ? The answer is yes. Our great responsibility is to get out the gospel, get out the gospel, get out the gospel. Do I want to and do I believe it's my responsibility to stifle evil? I shared that with you this morning. I do. I believe that. I believe we're to be salt and life and we're supposed to light and we're supposed to slow it down. But our greater responsibility is get out the gospel, get out the gospel, get out the gospel. And make sure that we pray for our nation. 
And we pray for that peace and quiet life so we can get out the gospel. That we pray for our leaders. That there may, hey, who knows? Even the president can get born again, can he not? And they could be saved. Even the Supreme Court justices, could they be born again? Oh, absolutely. So we pray and we pray. So here's where we go back to our criteria. We say, okay, let's vote for those who best fit many of the Bible criteria, okay, and principles. And, and so some of them, they're not going to think all the ways. A lot of them aren't going to think like us. They may not be Bible-based. They may not be born again. But we look and say, okay, what platform, what party, what ticket, what individuals for these, where do they fit on America's Christian heritage? Where do they fit on a biblical view of government? What is government supposed to do? Okay, it, what's its job? How do they sit with the Bible ethics in society? Where do, they, where do they line up with those moral issues? What do they deal with as far as the relationship in particular with Israel? Where do they, what do they show for character? And I look and say, okay, these are all important. We've just touched on one this evening. But they are all important that you and I say, okay, let the Bible guide us. Let's be careful. Let's be wise. Let's make it a matter of prayer. Let's go to the Word of God, find the principles, and say, okay, these candidates, how do they line up? And it calls for us as well that we as individuals need to do a little bit more research. We cannot be a society and an individual as believers that listen to sound bites and then make our conclusion. What we need to do is go, examine, do some research. Where do they stand on these issues? Where do they stand on crime and what the Bible says about? Where do they stand on welfare and where does the Bible stand? Where do they stand in the issue of Israel and what does the Bible say? Those are all critical issues that we have to look at and then we make wise decisions. And might we, might we have some differences when it comes down to voting? There's that possibility. But the bottom line is we serve the Lord we trust the Lord, we do what's right, and we don't let the politics break the bond we have in Jesus Christ. That is a more important and precious bond. Father, I pray that you would help us, that as we go out and as we consider these things tonight and these days ahead, that you would help us to make sure that we are knowledgeable, we are aware of issues, that we do the study that we need to do so that we know what's going on. And that, Father, in the bottom line, we make wise decisions. We do pray for our country. We pray that you would help us as believers to pray to recall this country's needs and its heritage, but also to look for its future and to be the light in the world, to be that which tempers the evil that's in society. Help us to address and to teach and to train in some of those areas on the social issues that we'll talk about next week and the week after. Help us to follow the Word of God in our life, but more importantly, in our homes, in how we talk, how we conduct ourselves tonight tomorrow, this week at work. Help us to be godly examples to the lost so as to help woo them to a spot where they will want to know and glorify you. Thank you for your simplicity of your teachings and instruction. Help us to be individuals who follow it day in and day out, we pray in your name. Amen. Hey,